welcome. We are here uh, in the second week of our series on the Lord's Prayer, and you just heard that passage that we read last week and also this week. Um, We see Jesus praying and his followers seeing him praying, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Just like John, John the Baptist, taught his followers to pray. Um, Out of the overflow of the life of Jesus, out of the overflow of the life of God, is this instruction on how to actually pray and relate to God. And what we talked about last week, Father Brian talked to us about last week, is that prayer is actually this foundation of the Christian life. Relating to God in prayer, communing with God in prayer, is the foundation of a Christian life. And uh, this first uh, uh, address that we're given by Jesus to God is the foundation itself of prayer. That first address is our Father. According to Jesus, all of prayer then and all of the Christian life begins with knowing whose we are, who we belong to. It matters fundamentally, essentially, primarily, that as a believer, the first thing you know is that you belong to God as his child. As his child. And from that, whom he loves, by the way, and likes, and from that, then live out the rest of the Christian life. From that, we pray every single petition that's going to come in the rest of the Lord's Prayer. But that, that relationship to God as our Father is this foundation. When we follow up this address, then, to our Heavenly Father with the request, let your name be hallowed, or hallowed be thy name. It is actually a request, not a command. It gives rise to several questions. And we're going to talk about three questions today. For hallowed be thy name. That's our line today is hallowed be thy name. First, what's his name? We read that today. What's his name? Second, what does it mean to hallow his name? I know it's traditional language. Have some fun with that. Hallow his name. And then lastly, how do we hallow his name then? How does his name get hallowed? How does he do that or we do that or what's the deal? So what's his name? Hallowed be thy name. What's his name? What does it mean to hallow it? And then how do we actually do that, right? Pretty clear, hopefully. So first, what is God's name? So what does God's name tell us about him? So we just read this in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses happens upon the burning bush, God revealed himself and said, I am who I am. Who should I tell Israel? uh, What what should I say to Israel when they ask who sent me? Because look, they're in Egypt where there are a ton of gods. God of the river, God of the sun, God of the frogs, God of the cows, God, right? Who who sent you? Which God sent you? What's his name? I am that I am. I am that I am. I am the preexistent one. And I am is not a static thing. It's not I am that I am and I never, nothing ever happens. He is unchanging in his nature, by the way. But what does it mean that I am uh, is I am. (laughs) How do we know who he is, what he's like? Well, we know by what he's done. There's a story, there's narrative, there's events, there's things that have happened. It's a narrative. I am what? I am the one who creates. For nothing I spoke, from nothing I spoke the universe into existence and, and all matter is dependent upon me for existence. I spoke and it came to be, God says. I commanded and the light and the water and the, do- and the dirt obeyed my voice. I commanded in the light, excuse me, like a potter crafting clay, I formed the ground and humankind in my image. I didn't make the world empty. 
No, but I actually filled it like a mother. I birthed new life and the world was teeming with life. I defeated chaos and conquered disorder and brought peace and harmony to the orbiting of planets. This is the God he creates, but that's not all. I am Yahweh who makes promises and keeps them to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the one who delivers you, Israel, out of slavery and us out of slavery to sin and death. I am the one who shows faithfulness, who shows mercy, who shows steadfast love. I am the one who is holy, self-existing, and self-contained. He's the source of his own being. He's not affected by or or determined by uh, any of his creation. I'm alone, holy, and perfectly just. This is I am. The 39 articles of religion tell us in article one, this is our kind of foundational uh, statement of beliefs from the 1600s. There is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body, parts, or passions, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness. That's a really important boundary, uh, balance of characteristics. He's the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. In the unity of this Godhead, there be three persons. There be three. Sounds like a pirate, I think. There be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. This is the great I am. Sounds pretty awesome, doesn't he? Doesn't he? I'm really asking you. Yes. Is this a great God? This is a wonderful God. This is a tremendous God. This is the great I am. And in fact, he's the only God. It's not that he's just one of the gods that the Egyptians have to figure out. It's not just he's one of those gods that that is competing for power. No, he alone is God. And it's really important that we have God's proper name. Uh, A name gives us a means by which to call upon this God specifically, right? It's not like, well, is he the same God as the God of Islam or of Judaism or of Hinduism? Is it really we're all talking about the same God here? You ever been to your grandparents' house at, at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, and your grandma starts, she starts calling the roll? She, she looks at you and she says, Gary, uh, Lloyd, uh, George, David. You know, she, she can't figure out which name to call you, right? Has that ever happened to any of you? You've been called every, you've been called your uncle's name, you've been called the dog's name, it's like till they finally, and it doesn't matter which kid it is, it's always the last name is the person they're talking to. And what's that golden rule? Of, of grandmas and grandpas talking to you, if I'm looking at you, I'm talking to you, right? If I'm looking at you, you better respond. I don't care what name I call you. You, right? And my grandma had, I mean, I don't know how many grandkids she had, too many. And eight kids, like, you know, 38-something grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And um, she had, you know, she, I don't think she ever knew my name for real, but uh, <laughs> she just called me. I'm just kidding. She loved me. I was her favorite. But <laughs> there's one true God isn't there, who has actually given us his name. So we don't have to be like, God of, you know, let's just cover them all. Let's just call the rule, God of, of, of this and of this and of this and of this. Let's just, think, let's try to just hit them all, just shotgun, spray and pray and figure out, you know, are we going to hit the mark or not? No, we have a direct address to a direct God who has a specific name. And he is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This story is, uh, from Scripture, is the story of the whole world, and this God is the one true God of the whole world. This is the God we're referencing, and in case we're confused or unsure about it, here he is, and he's told us how, how gracious. Otherwise, we'd have no idea who he is. We'd have no idea who to talk to. But he's like, hey, this is my name. You can talk to me. This is who I am. This is what I'm like. You can talk to me. 
that's a really gracious and loving act from a God who is otherwise inaccessible by us. He makes himself accessible and known. God speaks. That's the most shocking claim in all of theology, that God makes himself known when he doesn't have to. Okay, so first, who is this God? This is God, the great I am who does all these things. What does hallow mean? This is fun. Kind of sounds like a tra- traditional, uh, I was telling uh, Clay before the service, kind of like a traditional Irish greeting. Uh, Top of the morning, Tom. Hallowed be that name, George, you know. It's just kind of this, this thing back and forth. Hallowed is traditional. Um, or like, you know, as a kid, you're thinking like, hallowed be, is, is it empty? Is it a hollow name? No, that's hollow, not hallow. What does this mean? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird name. Well, we uh, are coming up on a, a holiday. They're already putting out the candy. They're already putting out the, uh, you know, there's the Halloween spirit, um, not that kind of spirit. Uh, stores, right? Halloween. Well, uh, hallow means to mark something apart as holy or as worthy of honor or glory. So why is it in Halloween? Well, this is just an aside. This isn't really necessarily pertinent, but Halloween uh, comes from uh, back in the day when they called it All Hallows Day, which is now All Saints Day. The evening before All Hallows Day was All Hallows Even. And so it's Hallows Even, Halloween. They got rid of the V. I don't know. It's just what happens over time. Contractions, things get shortened. So we have Halloween is actually the evening before we celebrate all the holy people of of God's church. So let's dress up like skeletons. Because holy people. Uh, Lots of spider webs because people are holy. Um, so that's what we do. So hallow his name means that God's name would be set apart as sacred. So the hallowed ones, the saints, God is set apart. So sanctify, glorify, set apart, make holy God's name. And in the Bible, God uses the word holy and clean as opposed, uh, as opposed to common and unclean um, to designate those things that are fit for the worshiping life of the people of God. So if something is holy or set apart, it is for special use in the temple and for uh, worship of God. And then there's the uh, the, the unclean or the common things. So like if I've got two bowls, so here we have plates, right? These plates in and of themselves are just plates. Uh, Bread, in and of themselves, it's just bread. But when God speaks and when God separates and when God designates something as holy, it is set apart to a completely different use for the service of God that is different from the the cup or the bread or the bowl that you use at home. There's common use and there's holy use in the scriptures. And by the way, we've kind of lost this in our culture, this idea of like, holy, ah, it's fine, it's just a plate. That's not at all, by the way, the world. People literally died for using the wrong things in worship in the Old Testament, not respecting the holiness of God. Um... In the Old Testament, things were sprinkled clean by the blood of the sacrifice, right? And then, then the priests, they put on specific garments, and the garments themselves had to be set apart as holy, and, and the, the food had to be set apart as holy, and the candles, the, the utensils, everything was set apart as holy. And a gap exists between the biblical world and our cultural imagination a little bit here. And one of the effects of that is that we don't really have a good idea of what it means for something to be holy. We don't do holy well. We don't deal in the sacred in our culture. Everything is commercialized, commodified advertised. It's actually a part of our post-enlightenment, like secularized age, that many of the things once deemed sacred were desacralized and made common. I've got a whole rant here about this. I'm probably going to skip it. 
I'll summarize the rant with TLDR, Cliff's notes. Um, the Christian church is not a marketing agency. We're not selling another thing to consume. Uh, religion is not just another market choice that you get amongst all your other choices of, do I buy organic or not? Do I buy antique or brand new? Do I buy mid-century modern or French country farmhouse? Do I want contemporary music or, oh, he's, he's kind of, he's a better preacher or this place has a nicer building. That's, that's not what we're doing here. It's just not what we're doing. You can have sports arenas and concert halls as places to, to, to celebrate incredible talent for sports and, and, and musical talent, but um, the church of God will retain its scriptures, its sacraments, its holy days, its holy commandments, because they alone are the normal means given by God for us to hear from him and to experience him. So we have to retain the holy, to set apart this time, this space, these things, our lives for God. In the Bible, holiness is a very serious thing, and um, the, the world of the Bible is actually our world too. It's actually not a different world. It's not like the, the Bible is you know, mythologized and sacred and whatever, and then, well, this is real life, and there aren't really sacred things. No, we're not seeing clearly. We're blind to the holy right in front of us. The relationships, the worship of God, the mountains, the trees. It's a very inhumane and irrational thing that we've done to get rid of the sacred and the holy from our common life. But in contrast, there are holy things. There are holy things that ought to be set apart and ought to be recognized as sacred. And one of them is the name of Almighty God. It ought to be recognized and set apart as holy. And this is what we're saying. We're saying that his name must be set apart as categorically different and pure from everything else that we're talking about in life. So, which God? What's his name? He's the great I am. He's the one who creates, he redeems, he does all these things. Second, what does it mean to hallow his name? It means to set it apart as holy. It means to recognize it as worthy of honor that's in, in a way, in a distinction that's different from everything else. Lastly, how do we hallow it? How does he hallow it? Well, in the first instance, this has already been done. Um, there's this really cool thing about God. Uh, it's, a, it's a name for it called aseity. He is ase. He is in himself, self-existent. He is unaffected uh, by creation or nothing can be added to him by creation. So we're not actually making him holy, right? We're not, when we glorify God, we're not like giving him more glory in his essence than he already possesses. It's like we're not adding anything to him. So we know that. That's true of God and his nature. So what are we actually saying? Well, we're asking, therefore, that God's name would actually be set apart, be set apart as sacred in and among us. That his glory, which he already has, would actually be made more known in this world than it already is by his creatures. And in and of ourselves, we're actually unable to do that. We're actually unable to bear his name in and of ourselves. Christ must purify and adore us with, adorn us with glory so that we can live as, as sons and daughters. Um, I'd like to bring to mind a story from the 1994 cinematic classic masterpiece, The Lion King. Um, still, by the way, the best-selling uh, home video of all time at 55 million copies, in case you wondered. Um, so in this movie, Simba runs away after his father, the king, Mufasa, dies. 
Um, after several years, he's living as a vagabond, literally, according to Elton John in, this, in that song. He gets the call to come back to take his place as king, doesn't he, through Nyla. Nala, not Nyla. Nala. Um, that's not who I am anymore. I can't go back, he says. That's not who I am anymore. Identity shift. I'm a vagabond. I'm not a son of the king. I'm an orphan. That's what's going on. But he encounters his father Mufasa in a majestic heavenly cloud scene. Um, he meets Rafiki. It's a really funny scene. Rafiki takes him through the woods. He says, look, look down there. And he looks and he says, that's not my father. It's just my reflection. Rafiki says, no. Look harder. You see, he lives in you. And then the music starts. Simba. You know. Simba, you have forgotten me. No, how could I? Simba, you've forgotten who you are, and so have forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. It's incredibly important that you and I get the order of this right. Our Father, who art in heaven, how do we hallow his name? Remember that you are a son or a daughter and then act like it. Don't live as a vagabond. Don't run around with a meerkat and a warthog <laughs> eating slugs off of, off of logs, jumping through waterfalls. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Sorry, that just popped into my head. What are those things in your life? What are the things that just draw us away? The things that, oh, I could do this, or I, I, I'm not good enough to do that, or I'm too, I'm too, whatever, fill in the blank. I'm going to live as an orphan. It's not who I am anymore. I can't go back. But what if we remembered our identity as adopted children of the Father, united with Christ, purified by the blood of Christ, to then come and to bear the name of King Jesus and of the great I am into the world? Like, what if we remember that it's not because of me, it's not because of anything I've done that this is the, the case. It's actually because of what he's done, that he died on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice, who then applied his blood to me, who, who paid for my sin, who purified my heart and my mind, who set me up to then be able to have this vocation as God-bearer. What if we remembered that? That's the first step of hallowing the name of God in your life. The name of God is set apart as holy in your life when you live as a son or a daughter of the one who has adopted you and paid the ultimate price through his son, Jesus Christ, for you to be that, right? We are made priests of God and purified for him. And able to do that, and it's incredibly important that we get that right. So that's kind of the first angle of how we hallow his name. The second angle um, it comes from this quote that stopped me in my tracks when I, when I read it by Letter and Ravenhill. I want us to look at this together. We get the idea that if we build an altar, God's going to send fire. God never sent fire on an altar yet, and he never will. He sends fire on the sacrifice, not on the altar. That's why scripture says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Whoa! You mean if we just build a church, build a building in really nice space, that's not enough? 
You mean if I just put Joshua 1.9 on the outside of my house, it's not enough? As for me and my house, will serve the Lord. It's a Christian house. I have a Texas flag flowing out front. You mean if I just wear a Christian fish on my shirt when I go to work, it's not enough? Can't just put the name on it? Can't just build the altar? Say that's enough? No, there's got to be sacrifice. There's got to be a sacrifice. What are you bringing and offering to the Lord on that altar? It's great to have sacred spaces. It's great to consecrate your home to the Lord. But if that home on the inside looks the same as every other home in the neighborhood that doesn't know Jesus, what's really happening here? What have we really built? Because Israel built altars and then they sacrificed their children on them like the Canaanites. This happened. Those altars are not special. They're disobeying God. They just look like the other nations. But instead, we, we come to him through Christ. Look at Hebrews 13, 12, and 15 through 16. Jesus suffered outside the gate to sanctify the people through his blood. That's us. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's what we're doing today. That's what we do every day of our lives. This is a, what we're doing today is, is training for what we should do Monday through Saturday. Do not neglect, in addition, do not neglect to do good. Good deeds, good works. Do not neglect to share what you have. Be generous, hospitable. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Israel had altars and they offered the wrong sacrifices. They didn't obey God. They didn't worship God. They worshiped false gods. What false gods are we worshiping? What things are we sacrificing on the altars of our lives? for success, for jobs, for careers, money. What we don't realize is that for the Lord's name to be hallowed, true worship has to take place, and true worship requires sacrifice. We're commissioned by God to carry the name of God in the world and to lift it high, and the scriptures are clear that when we sacrifice our preferences and we sacrifice our desires for the sake of the kingdom, if we seek first the kingdom of God, then, then others can see our actions and see our words and, and have cause to glorify God in heaven. It's not just that like my Facebook status, I guess it's not a status anymore, but my, my Facebook update or, or, or what I put publicly, like these little, that's not enough. That's not bad. It's good actually. But what about a life that matches that? What about a life that is sacrificed? Look at Matthew 5.16. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The grace of the gospel is not opposed to good works, by the way, and to effort. It's opposed to earning the love of God. But we ought to be people of good works and good deeds who, when other people look at us, they say, who's your God? Because this is incredible. This is incredible. Look at 1 Peter 2, 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good, work, your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Oh, I was completely wrong about these people. These, these are good deeds, and when God shows up, I'm actually, that should be the, the call. That should be the response. So, it's the great I am whose name we are sanctifying, hallowing it, we're setting it apart as holy. How do we do that? By acting like children, the children that we are. Everything the light touches is our kingdom. What about that shadowy place over there? You must never go there, Simba. Um, 
Live as a son or a daughter of the king. And thirdly, or and lastly, worship God with true sacrifice. Give your life to him and serve him with good deeds. So in conclusion, we've seen that when we ask the Lord to hallow his name, we're addressing the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God in three persons, the blessed Trinity. It's this God who's created all things and is redeeming all things from uh, that who we address. And we ask him that his name would be lifted up, that his name would be famous and, and sanctified in us and in this world, that his name would be exalted. The way that's done is not only through his own actions of redemption in the world, like we just said, but through his people, his children living in this world. You and I have the glorious privilege of making the name of our precious Heavenly Father more famous in this world to the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.